because we have shame around our bodies, because we have shame around our genitals. And so I think that we're like, oh my God, it's already bad. And then you come with another partner and you're doing something in those areas that give us joy and pleasure. So like, we don't ask each other questions. In fact, when I ask my patients, I often say like, so did you have a conversation about, you know, the last time you were you were examined or did your partner, oh, my partner's like, he got upset at me because I asked. He's like, what? I haven't been around a lot of people. Why would you ask me if I have, you know, when I last was tested? It's because when we even ask people these questions, they feel dirty. For me, it's the epitome of sex negativity in our culture. It's how we, it's how we embody sex negativity is through STIs, which is why I'm so passionate to talk about it and to change that story where we could see them just as other infections. So welcome to the Given Consent podcast. I'm Jamie. The goal of this show is to introduce you to the people and ideas behind sex positivity. And today I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Evelyn Dacker. Thanks for joining me. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. So I thought that we would start off with, because you have a long history with sex positive world, especially up in the Portland area. You used to be the executive director of the chapter up there. How did you end up there? <laughs> oh, such a good story. But, you know, I joined Sex Positive Portland in 2016 when I was on this journey of discovering sexuality. Uh, I was in a long-term marriage for 22 years, mom of two, working as a family physician in Salem, Oregon, and I studied a lot of holistic and integrative medicine, and when I went to all these conferences, I was always like, my God, they're missing any discussions around sexuality. How could we not have any discussion around sexuality when we're talking about holistic health because it's such an integral part of our, our bodies and our health. So I went on this like discovery of taking classes and learning as much as I could about sexuality. In the process, I opened up my marriage and um, joined Sex Positive Portland. And soon after I joined, I, because through all of my studies, I learned about a elevator speech. And the first person I heard of this was Allison Moon, who is Reed Mahalko's partner. And, um, and I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. There's 19 things to talk about, but wow, this is great. I want to teach it to my patients. So I used to write down on little notepads all the things to talk about <laughs> to my patients and figured I there had to be a better way of doing this. So I then came up with this acronym called STARS. And because I was in Sex Positive Portland at the time, I was like, wow, I maybe could use these people as my guinea pig to start teaching it. So in late 2016, I started teaching these STARS workshops um, and just became more involved. And in 2017, as Gabriela Cordova, who's the founding member, or founding person was wanting to transition out of her executive role and asked me to take over with Karen Harry and Walker O'Rourke being kind of the um, chief, chief organizational people. And I was the chief exec, you know, the executive director. And the three, the three of us worked together for a year before they, they took a leave of absence. 
Um, so it was really probably my go-getter attitude. It was like, oh, I could do this in combination with the fact that as a physician and as I own my own business, I'm very, you know, I know how to run things with a lot of different people, a lot of moving parts. It gave me this ability to, to step into the organization at a really critical time when we made this huge transition from being run by the founding member and maybe one or two other leaders into a much more structured organization with a board of directors and, um, and different people. When, when Karen and Walker left, I started really creating a very formal organizational structure and writing it all down because I've often, I've been told that the best leader is one who could leave their position and, and the organization still runs beautifully. So it was my point to be able to leave Sex Positive Portland in a way that whoever stepped in could continue with the organization the way it's run in a pretty you know turnkey fashion we could say nice so you mentioned stars and that's become a cornerstone of the sex positive uh i guess classes and could and you've actually done a ted talk on it too i think that was the first time i had actually seen you because you're on youtube mm -hmm. doing your ted talk mm -hmm. so what what is stars what does the acronym stand for uh, exactly. So stars, rather than thinking of it as an elevator speech, because in the middle, elevator speech is like a cute, a short pitch. Stars is actually five elements that if we have conversations with our prospective intimate partners with, or even our current intimate partners with, if we add these five elements to our conversations, then we're going to create consensual, conscious relationships. And STARS is an acronym that stands for sexual health or your STI status, your turn-ons, which is what you want, what you desire, your avoids, which is your boundaries, the places that you don't want to enter into necessarily, or the places that you need to state your, your, you know, your nose up front your relationship intentions and expectations and this part is like who you are and what you really want with yourself what you want with that person if you have any needs surrounding that encounter it's kind of like if I was to be intimate with you then this is what it would mean to me and this is what I may need from you um, and then the last one is your safer sex etiquette I don't say safer. So etiquette is more than just condoms and barriers. Etiquette is around like what you need to be in a place where you totally feel safer in your body, in your actions, in your desires, um, to be able to have a really good yummy, you know, encounter, relationship, whatever it is that you want in that, in that time period. It, 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 fit really well into the sex positive community because we have these conversations already. So it wasn't like this is something new and mind blowing. I think when I heard it first time by from, you know, Alison Moon, it was new and mind blowing for me because I, I was pretty much coming from the mainstream. So using it in sex positive cultures, polyamorous cultures, it's really, and I want to say it's not just reads, it, hate where that was the first time I heard it. I heard elements of it also in kink negotiations. I heard elements in Tantra, you know, bubble setting, like there's so many different 
forms of doing this talk in all these subcultures. And really my idea is to take it out of the subculture, take it out of the sex positive world and somehow mainstream the idea to get it into my, the, the place where I really want to put my heart in getting it into is on college campuses. You know, and, and the hardest part of this is not so much as we think, oh, my God, it's so hard to talk about it. But the truth is, it's so hard to know it within yourself. It's so hard to first get into this place where you feel comfortable knowing what your turn ons are with knowing your boundaries, with even knowing what your intentions are, and what it is you want. So many people in the outside of the sex positive community, whether that's kink or Tantra or polyamory or whatever, don't even have any idea that's something that we could even discover. It was mind blowing for me. When I first learned that, oh my God, I, I have turn-ons, I have boundaries, I could, I could have like an intention and I could create a safer sex bubble. Holy cow, like it was totally mind blowing. So I'm hoping to just, you know, make it so that it's so normal that we actually talk about these things that we don't even need to, it just becomes normalized. So that's my, that's my work in the bigger world. Yeah. No, I, I love that because when I was introduced to stars and I, I tend to repeat this is that it's one thing to hear it and go, okay, I get it. It's a five part speech. It's entirely a different thing to actually be face to face with another person and actually start communicating it. And what was also interesting to me is that it changed with time. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I just want to say, it, it really does work. It's really great. And what it does is creates like this sense of safety and that everything is okay. Mm -hmm. And that, like you talked about the, this, the bubble idea, and that's the idea of the bubble, am I right? And that it's, 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 it's about safety in that moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and creating that for oneself and taking, yeah. taking that ownership for us. And that's just something that we're not taught in mainstream sexual culture. So I have been, I spent most of my life in mainstream sex negative you know, culture that the only way I feel of moving, you know, everything forward is by having clearer and more open communication and to start deconstructing those places of negativity. And for me, because I'm a family physician and because I see people from birth till they die, I am so, I have this amazing wealth of knowledge of the human life experience. And because of my job as a physician and in sex positivity, the place that I have done a lot of my focus on is destigmatizing sexually transmitted infections. That's my first step. I also like to destigmatize uh, sexual health. Like to me, my bigger work later on will be to like have people acknowledge that sexual health is just as important as cardiovascular health, gut health, brain health, you know? It's just another part of our overall wellness. But right now, I am working a lot to destigmatize sexually transmitted infections and to help people learn how to take control over something that they don't feel that they have control over so that they don't feel guilty about doing something that brings them pleasure. I think STIs are a way of our sex negative culture to make us feel shame for being sexual with one another. And it's such an easy fix. It's such an easy fix. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I went through that myself because, um, I, I, I ended up having warts for a time and it was something a partner had no idea they had given to me because these things happen. And I ended up feeling very dirty and guilty about it. And I was a person who had been in this sex positive culture talking about the fact that it's not a big deal. You don't have to have shame. Why, why do you think people just have that, that shame spiral that happens when it specifically comes to SDIs? Because we have shame around sexuality because we have shame around our bodies, because we have shame around our genitals, because the stories that we're brought up with, as we're, I'm gonna just, my experience as a person with a vagina is that like, you don't look, you don't touch, you don't feel. And it's something that's like, I remember the very first time I saw my vagina and I was young, I just started crying because I thought it was so ugly. Mm. And, you know, and so I think that we're like, oh my God, it's already bad. And then you come with another partner and you're doing something in those areas that give us joy and pleasure. So like the fear and, you know, when you're in high school and you're going through sex ed, they have the worst pictures of STIs. I mean, they always show the worst ones because they're like, oh my God, that could happen to me. It could make my genitals that I don't feel so great about even worse. And not it's a disease, right? Even sexually transmitted disease. So we're in dis-ease. Like just the word sexually transmitted dis-ease is so telling. It's so absolutely telling. So we don't talk about it. We don't ask each other questions. In fact, when I ask my patients, I often say like, so did you have a conversation about, you know, the last time you were, you were examined or did your partner, oh, my partner's like, he got upset at me because I asked. He's like, what? I haven't been around a lot of people. Why would you ask me if I have, you know, when I last was tested? It's because when we even ask people these questions, they feel dirty. Even asking them is like, oh my gosh, there's shame. There's just, it is the, uh, for me, it's the epitome of sex negativity in our culture. It's how we, it's how we embody sex negativity is through STIs, which is why I'm so passionate to talk about it and to change that story where we could see them just as other infections. Yeah, I, I think that's really a, a wonderful and important thing to be doing. Um, I also just want to highlight like Planned Parenthood has some great videos on this exact topic for those that want to go deeper on it. And um, just because I can ask you, because you're a doctor, mm-hmm. um, it's true. Most of the STIs that we deal with are very treatable. Is that is that mm-hmm. am I right thinking that? Oh yes, and it can. It depends on what you what you consider treatable, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and when we think about other infections, right? Let's talk the the good old chickenpox. Okay. You know, you get it as a kid, you don't feel shame about it. And then you're like, okay, we're done. And then later on in life, you might get shingles, which is the same virus that pops up on your body, usually on your chest or your abdomen, we could do on your face. And you're like, oh my God, you still have this virus for your life. And actually it could be so bad, it could cause blindness or incredible pain for a long time. Is it treatable? Sure, we could give you an antiviral that could calm it down and pain meds. Is it treatable? Well, it's a virus. So, you know, it depends on what your end goal is. But when you have shingles, are you feeling like, oh my God, I'm such a bad human being? No, because you didn't get it from something that brought you pleasure. (laughs) And we just shame pleasure, you know? And so 
most, I would say mo almost all sexually transmitted infections are, um, they're treatable, but it doesn't mean they're gonna go away. Like even HIV won't kill you. Syphilis could kill you, but it won't if you get it early and are tested. I mean, all of them are absolutely uh, manageable. They're all manageable. Um, when it comes to sexual health and getting tested, how often do you suggest someone does that? It depends on your age, what genitals you have and your sexual activity. It's so funny because one of the high risk categories every time, like this is how you tell people how often is like if you are high risk. And one of the high risk categories is multiple sexual partners. So I was curious and I was like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean multiple sexual characters at one time, within a year, in a lifetime? What is that? What does that mean? So I looked it up and the definition of multiple sexual characters is more than four partners in a lifetime. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, how not to shame anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very, very prudish. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I wonder where we're coming from. So yeah. I, um, if you're a sexually active person who's had sex before the age of 25, anybody with a vagina should be checked for chlamydia and gonorrhea once a year, at least. Uh, and then most, I usually talk to people about checking the, you know, in between partners, before a partner, right after a partner, just so you could have the STI, you know, you could have the star sock because it's really empowering. And I tell people this, I'm like, hey, if we test you today, then the next partner, you could say, I was last checked on December 13th and I was checked for gonorrhea and chlamydia in my vagina and my throat. And I was checked for HIV and syphilis through my blood. And I was all negative. How about you? You know, it's so much easier than to say to somebody, when were you last checked for, for STIs? And the other thing that I really um, inform people is to actually know what they're tested for, where they were tested, and why. Because when people say, oh, I got the regular panel, and I was clean. I'm like, well, what is the regular panel? Do you know? Most people don't know. And I'm like, and clean? Really? I kind of like it when people are a little bit dirty. <laughs> And that kind of helps them realize that the word clean again is, is shameful and somebody who has an infection is not dirty. You know, it, it's, it's tricky. And, you know, I think that honestly, if we're going to go into mainstream ideas and what, if we're going to move from sexually transmitted infections, we should also talk about the most transmissible infection that we have now, which is COVID. Yeah. And COVID, it's interesting because I, I see people too when they come positive that there's this shame and that we're also using shame to kind of control people around COVID. And whereas I think shame is a really useful tactic, it's also a cultural construct that we use to keep people controlled. So I'm very anti-shame in general. I think it's a really toxic, I think it's a really toxic um, tool that people use in their toolbox. And it causes a lot of, you know, people, you know, it causes a lot of mental health issues and depression. So uh, moving around shame and the way to move around it is to have very clear, open communication with one another where we just name it. 
we just name what it is. We just name what we want. We name our boundaries. And teaching this concept to people who have come through an abstinence-based sexual education could be really profound and life-changing, I think. Because we're teaching consent. Yeah, absolutely. And in talking about COVID, what was interesting to me was many people who had, were already used to doing these kinds of talks were much better about like, you know, the, the desire to see each other and then the acknowledgement that it's not safe right now and then how to negotiate when it would be safe to perhaps meet, like taking the quarantine. And I know that you also developed a guideline for that really early on in the pandemic uh, called COVID care, if I, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, what did that kind of look like? And, and why, why did you feel the need to put that out there? Yeah, it, it's funny because I was like, in the beginning of the pandemic, it, this was back in April, May, when we were in lockdown, I was like, oh my God, this is like, we need a stars talk. We need a stars talk when we start wanting to engage with one another. So I was like, I couldn't fit it into the stars acronym. And all of a sudden care came out because it was like your container or circle. I didn't know, we, we didn't have all the language yet. So container or circle, your agreements with the people in your container and circle, your um, risk tolerance, because that risk tolerance came from all the talk I've done on STIs. I've like really delved into like what brings our fear up in STIs, especially around herpes. And I, did, I came up with this risk tolerance idea. And then the last one was your etiquettes. Like, what are you going to do? Masks, hand washing, whatever, whatever. And it was funny because when I first put it out there, I got some real blowback from some sex positive people. I got people saying, this is, this is terrible. How could you bring this out? This is like, you're going to encourage people to be mingling. I'm like, no, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is having conversations and how we really need to have some ideas of what to talk about. And the part of my COVID care that really got the most traction was the whole concept of risk tolerance which is interesting. And I think that still comes into play. Like what is our, what are our individual tolerate, tolerance for risk in this and how we really need to become conscious of ourselves and disclose that to other people so they could make their own decisions about themselves. Yeah, I, I, had a, I had a very long conversation with some family members about risk tolerance and what exactly that meant. And it was interesting to me because um, it was like a new concept. And um, mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's important because people tend to fall in one of two categories, one being the extreme safety, no touching, stay away, or the, ah, forget it, let's just take our masks off and do whatever. And there's this complete area in between where you can take a risk that's a much lower risk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you could, yeah. So when I first wrote it, there was like six level, five levels of risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. And it was all, I kind of like thought of like, oh, what would we be doing? Like, what would be the thing? So, and, and then of course, remember I wrote this back in the early days and I, yeah. I've written an updated version, but I've just never felt like, I don't know. And I realized in my updated version, there's really only three categories. There's low risk, high risk, and medium. And the medium is like the wide one, right? And within medium, it's where the negotiation and where the understanding of really where you lie means. And I use a, I, I use a concept of the backpack. Like the more shit you carry, the lower your risk tolerance. It's heavier. You carry more fears, more anxieties. You're going to walk slower. You're going to be more, more diligent. You know, you're going to be more like 
what's going on. So you're not going to, you know, you're going to be a little slower or you carry nothing in your backpack and you're going to race up that damn mountain, but you don't have your water with you. So you might, you know, so like both ends are not necessarily where people want to be. You want to be in the middle, but then when you're in the middle, you have to fill your backpack with the things that are important. And that's where you have to understand what's important to yourself. Like, is it important that you're with a few people, a, a big crowd, like where do you lie? And in our sex positive community, I mean, it's been really hard to be, poly I mean, it's not hard to be sex positive in COVID. It's hard to be polyamorous in COVID. <laughs> it's hard to be, I think it's really hard to be sexy in COVID, in yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do want to come back to that, but I also just, uh, I want to talk a little bit about like some of the amazing things about sex positive and the fact that we're creating this culture is that we also are, we're always learning and trying to transition things. And something else that happened in 2020 was this, this major uh, spotlight was put on Black Lives Matter and everything surrounding it. And that you actually have taken part in creating this new fund that we have through Sex Positive, which is meant to elevate the voices of those who maybe haven't had the opportunity. So can you tell me a little bit about the Rising Stars Fund and who it's for and why it exists? Yeah. So actually, and this, this proposal of the Rising Stars Fund actually started before the pandemic. It start, I, the idea came to me in February, January of February. As I was leaving and transitioning out of the executive director role, one of the great frustrations that I witnessed was that tra our transgender community members, our, our non-binary members, our people of color members were doing all the heavy lifting they were doing all the classes that didn't get compensation. They were putting tons of time into this organization and not making the money that people who were more privileged and were able to go and take workshops and then bring the workshops back and create it, or people who were more privileged who had big, wonderful spaces to hold things. They were making all the money, but all the people, and it just, it's that power imbalance. And I'm so, I, I grew up uh, Mexican-American. I've had to struggle on my own trying to reach, you know, trying to be, to become a medical school. I mean, everything has always, I've always had a fight a little harder than other people to get to where I was. And I then, now that I'm in a much more privileged position, witnessing that in my own organization felt very wrong. And I was, I came up with this idea that I wanted, one of my legacies that I wanted to leave was that we would actually start equalizing that. So the rising, and, and as a queer person, as a person of color, um, I really wanted to support other people who wanted to do the work, who were passionate to do the work, but didn't have the resources to either go to workshops and learn, or were doing all the work in, in areas that weren't being compensated, who were doing the teachings that weren't being compensated the way other more privileged members of our community could do. I wanted to equalize that. And therefore, I started this fund so we could support that better. Nice. And it's, it's really exciting to have that be a part of Sex Positive World. And I just want to say to our listeners, you can donate to that right now on our website by going to sexpositiveworld.com if that's something that also inspires you. 
Yeah, I really hope. So I also named it the Rising Stars because mm-hmm. I actually matched every penny I've ever made from teaching stars, from teaching. I also teach in colleges. I teach STIs. I teach in medical schools on how to be a sex positive healthcare provider. So every penny I've ever made from that, I matched to put into this Rising Stars Fund. Yeah. Because then, I really, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, go right ahead. Talk about the Rising Stars Fund. No, I love so it. I, you know, so the fund is only going to start continuing and being able to be maintained by other members feeling just as passionate about supporting all of our community members and all if people who have a little bit of resources, you know, let's let's spread it. Let's put it forward. Let's like move our sex positive community to to everybody. And to do that, we have to just invest in everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's also important to note there there's um an application process and I just want to encourage anybody, if you think that it might be you, apply. It Please. it can it can mm-hmm. stop you to, to just hit the button. And um but we want to it's important through sex positive that we can make this happen. For sure. And you know, it's like it's gonna be going towards supporting people teaching classes or supporting people going and taking workshops or retreats to learn how to facilitate, to learn, you know, to learn so you could bring it back to the community. And I know that you're also planning to teach some new classes in 2021 specifically around sexual health. What are those classes Mm -hmm. and where can people find them? Yeah. So the first class is I'm going to do an STI series. And I often, almost every year I've taught a class on sexually transmitted infections. And it's just like in two hours, you cannot cover everything. And herpes usually takes the most time. So I, uh, I'm spreading it out. And the first class is going to be on herpes. It's in Jan- on January 28th on Zoom. I'm actually going to have a, uh, a guest uh, who's a very well-known uh, herpes positive um, activist and his name is Courtney Brames and he does a podcast called something positive for positive people and all the money that I make from teaching that class is going to go to that organization Uh, and so we're going to talk about not just herpes but how to do disclosure how to be able to communicate it with other people and how to ask your provider for what you need. Uh, then I'll be teaching a class on human papillomavirus or HPV because a lot of people have questions about that. And then my third class will be on STIs for kinky, uh, poly, kinky, and queer people. And I'll talk about specific needs that that group of humans needs. Um, then the last one will be on all the other STIs, HIV, chlamydia, gonorrhea, uh, syphilis, trick, anything else that people have questions about. Uh, and so that will be my first part of my sexual health series. I will be planning other ones later on because sexual health is just one of those topics that people don't think too much about. Yeah, um, I know you just said you can't cover this even in two hours, but right. specifically around herpes, can you give kind of like some bullet points <laughs> of what's going to be going into that class? Because I feel like this just comes up all of the time. Yeah, so I will be talking about, first of all, risk tolerance, and what are our fears around herpes, like why that one is so, that one is just so much more, I I don't like the word triggery, but I'm going to, I can't think of a better word, like triggery for us as we navigate polyamory and multiple and other 
non-monogamous situations. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'll talk a little bit about the virus and how you can get it in transmission and rates. I'll talk a little bit about treatment, ways you could do to reduce the risk of spreading. Um, then I'll, we'll spend some time in helping people understand how to ask for what you need from your healthcare provider, because a lot of us don't know and don't, and our healthcare providers don't know and don't understand. So I'm hoping to empower people to understand a little bit about navigating what it is you need and what it is you want. Then the, then the other part will be if you're positive or even like if you're positive, how do you best disclose this to potential people? And if you're not positive, how do you best receive that information from potential partners? And how you figure out where, and again, a lot of it links back to risk tolerance. So that's why I start with risk tolerance. So that's basically what I'm hoping to cover in two hours. Yeah. No, I, I think that's great. I'm a person, I have tested positive um, for, uh, for herpes. Uh, I have never had an outbreak. And then I have come to find out it's actually very difficult to get retested. I actually had to fight my doctor to get it on my panel next time. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an interesting misunderstood uh, virus. Very. Virus. And do yes, and doctors don't, don't get it. They don't get it. I mean, they really don't. They just don't understand because it's very complicated. And honestly, most people don't care about sexual health. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's really great that that's going to be an offering and something people can mm -hmm. find. Um, if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, where can they find you? So uh, through evelynedacker.com, my name, and then also my stars specific is maketimeforthetalk.com. And I will be also hosting stars workshops. I will be hosting a facilitator training so that if you want to actually teach stars to your organization, um, how to do that, the things that you have to understand and know, and then you could teach it to your organization. And then lastly, I'm, I have and hoping to bring out a star specific workshop to young adults yeah and just just to ask because um young people in particular those who are in college maybe maybe who are watching this um who might want to do that um i just kind of want to ask like if, i'm assuming it's important to you that they come so if there's um like a sliding scale or any way to get them in the oh, door absolutely yeah. there's always a sliding scale to all of my events including one where a moneyless access i to me, it's more important to get the information out and I don't really want to put barriers in front of people. So there it is. If you're a person who wants to learn, there you have a place to learn. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I almost, I almost feel like if you're gonna contribute money, what you're doing is you're just contributing money to this ongoing effort to make, to widen, to widen this knowledge. I, I am, I am in a privileged position where I have a job that compensates me for my life style, which isn't, you know, and so therefore I don't need to make this into supporting my life and all the money really I wanted to, it just gets reinvested into other things like the Rising Stars Fund or other ways of getting this information out there. Great. Um, then my last question for you is, um, 
we're we're still in a pandemic. There there's a vaccine on the horizon and this hope to return to something that we used to have before. What advice do you have for our listeners about getting through this moment in time that you, you even said earlier is not a very sex positive or sexy time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the great things about this moment, and I want to say it's been a really challenging year, and the pandemic has really been a challenging year, but one of the best lessons that we can take is to slow down, take a breath, and move with intention. So because everything has such a higher price to it, if you want to engage with somebody, open your heart to them, and that means opening the rest of your body to them, we have to do it consciously. So to move through this, if we take this opportunity to really go inside, go within ourselves and really be doing it from a place of embodiment versus a place of, oh my gosh, I'm in the sex positive community. That means I have to have a lot of sex, even if I don't want to work. Like it really just helps us integrate everything that we've learned, everything that we're learning. It's just a great moment and opportunity to do that so that when we do come to the other side, we're going to be so much healthier and so much happier and not, I, I, I mean, I, I, I bet that there will be a lot of um, kind of, I, there'll be a new idea of the roaring 20s <laughs> once, once everything, uh, once this passes, which probably won't be for another couple of years, but yeah, we will get this. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, everyone, please look up Evelyn if you've, anything sounds interesting, because there is so much more. You can go so much deeper on all of this. And until next time, uh, we'll be back next Wednesday. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching this week's episode. If you want to see more, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that we end up in your feed. If you got something out of this personally that was helpful to you, also please leave a comment below. I love hearing the feedback about what's working and what's not. That's what makes this show better. And until next time, love you more and we'll see you then.